This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Ash Bennington. Welcome to Building Blocks, a podcast about people's journey into the Bitcoin, blockchain, and digital asset space. Join me as we seek to get to the bottom of what's really happening. Welcome to Building Blocks. Marshall, it's great to have you back. We just had a terrific conversation on the Real Vision crypto platform. So it's great to have you on this podcast to hear more about your life. Thanks for having me back, Ash. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the conversation that we had on the Real Vision crypto platform really detailed, went through a lot about what's happening in the space. Uh, but it's great to have you here to talk a little bit more personally about your own journey uh, into the crypto space. So tell us a little bit about your background before the digital asset space, before you got involved in crypto. Yeah, so I've I've always been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've I've been interested in kind of starting my own businesses and uh, my, my mother was an entrepreneur, my father was an entrepreneur. And um, so I grew up around that and I was always really fascinated about that. Um, I was definitely a geek in high school. I was definitely <laughs> the nerd, right? Um, I, I can recall a time in high school, uh, freshman year of high school, where I hacked the school computers and changed some grades and things like that. And everybody remembered me as that that hacker kid. And I, I think that I internalized that, like the movie Hackers and Cryptonomicon. I was into that reading books and I was subscribing to uh, zines online. And I spent a lot of time online uh, and playing with encryption, playing with file sharing. As I was, you know, going off to college, uh, Napster was a thing and file and and Nutella and LimeWire, if you remember those. Recently, yeah, I saw LimeWire got bought. It's so funny because all these kind of childhood you know, teen memories have come back into crypto, into this industry. Um, LimeWire yeah. recently got bought and they're using the brand to make an NFT platform. But I was interested in that because I, I grew up around that and I was always fascinated by, um, by the hacker mystique, by the technology. And I think it was, for my generation, it was interesting because we grew up with like tapes and Nintendo and like right. the early technologies is like, right after Atari that, so things were really, they were low tech, but then from like 1995 to 2005, if you think about the shift in technology, that's kind of when I was, you know, really, you know, in my, in my teens and then into my, my twenties, early twenties. And that was just mind blowing, right? Like, wow, the technology just, so I've always been fascinated with technology not just the software side, but also the hardware, but I'm not a hardware engineer, but I love robots. I'm obsessed with robots. I, when I robot, um, Roomba came out with the Roomba, that company, mm-hmm. and they, they came out with other like, you know, home consumer robots. I just, I have all of them. I bought, <laughs> I, you know, and so that's me. It's like my personality is new technology. I want to be a part of it. I want to yeah. research it. Even if I'm not working in that space, I'm just fascinated with it. So 
before um, before crypto, I was you know an entrepreneur uh, starting small businesses. I was even a co-owner on a on a, a restaurant at one point. Um, if you can do that, you can do anything. Um, as an entrepreneur, the hardest part is is be- believing in yourself when the chips are down, when mm-hmm. you know your business is failing and you feel like you know I'll just I'm going to take a job somewhere else. Right. That's the hardest time. And then you do you do take a job somewhere else, or you contract to do things to keep your startup dreams alive. So for me, I dabbled in a lot of things for many years. I thought. For a long time, I thought technology is really just my hobby, right? And so in my 20s, I was, I technology was my hobby, but it wasn't really my profession. And I loved to play. I'd spend more time on the computer than anything else. And I always thought, you know, when I was um, when I was a young person going off to college, I thought if if I go and study computer science, I'll ruin my passion for software and, and building stuff and technology and the internet. And it just couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I just, I just kept gravitating more towards it. And in 2011, um, uh, 11 years ago, when I moved out to California, it was, it just, it just seeped into my pores, right? And so, you know, for people watching this, you know, how did I get here? Well, I'm, I'm one part. It's innate. I'm fascinated with this stuff. If you tell me about some technology, I want to Google it. I want to research it. I want to. I want to be part of the future. I want to bring about the future, right? That's in my blood. But then the other part of it is, you know, part of your environment. If you surround yourself, you know, um, going to school in Boston, great place for a young person in their 20s because you have, you yeah. know, you have Northeastern, you have Boston University, you have Harvard, MIT, uh, you have Boston College, you have more colleges in a tinier space. And so that's a great place in your young age. But if you're into technology, you know, go to San Francisco, go to Hong Kong, go to the place where the technology, go to Singapore, go to the place where the technology is that you want to build and surround yourself with those people. Because when I moved to San Francisco in in 2011, it was almost immediate. Uh, I, I found people that I could talk with about Bitcoin. Nobody knew what Bitcoin was in Massachusetts, but there were people, a small group of people in California that did. Um, and the more I went to these meetups, the more I became part of this culture, the more I, it was funny because I felt like my whole life, like an outcast, like, you know, I don't, uh, what's that meme where it's like, uh, there's like a guy at the dinner table and his wife's like punching him and he's like talking about crypto or something. That's me, (laughs) right? Like I have to stop and slow down. So I felt like the first time in my life when I moved to California, I was having these conversations and there were other people on the other side of the table that were just as excited to, not that that didn't exist in Massachusetts, but it just was really encouraged being weird and into tech. That was really like, that was a badge. And, you know, in Massachusetts, it's definitely a badge in other places. It's a badge, but go to where your people are, go to, go to where you can put up your freak flag and say, I love crypto. I love technology. And I'm going to talk your ear off about it. And you'll be surrounded by the right people. And I was uh, laughing the other day. I was going through some pictures of the early days of crypto of like 2012, 2013, 2014. Those are really like the, really formative years where a lot of early, that's like when Coinbase was starting. I started my first company, uh, QuickCoin and crypto, um, BitPay, all the early crypto startups. And I was looking at pictures of myself hanging out at um, this place called The Alchemist, which is this bar in San Francisco. And for some reason, it's really funny. It's like a heavy metal 
bar and you go there and just rock music, hardcore music, but they have this amazing tap, selection tap. And in the back where there's all these tables, it's just all tech people. Every day at 6 p.m. is all tech people and heavy metal music and great beer. And I would go there and I'd have all these pictures. I was looking through these old pictures of the founders of Cosmos, the founders of Dogecoin, the founders of all these great blockchains and crypto projects. And we didn't know at that time. We didn't know. We're just nerds drinking wow. beers, talking about cryptos. Before big money, VC money came in, before this whole Web3 movement, it was before any of that. Um, I, I, that's, it's pretty cool. I, I, I don't know how to put it into words, but, you know, go to where you can, you can, your freak flag can fly and go to where, and it may not seem valuable at the time. For me, um, there was definitely a time, uh, it, it was very a tough time in my life because when I moved out here, I was in a long-term relationship for 13 years. And as my career and kind of my vision changed to go, you know, to take this chance on crypto and, and, and really in, in 2012, 2013, that was really a different, a separation of, I separated with that partner and now I'm married very happily, uh, just had a baby in January uh, with my wife, Madison, and I, my life changed. I found a different passions that, mm. I mean, I had them before, but now it was my job and, you know, my, my life partner shifted, my friends shifted, not that I'm not still friends with those people, but I... I found this group that was obsessed with this thing, crypto, and um, I never looked back. And, and every day, it's funny because every day there is new development. I, I love to be challenged. I love to learn new things. I feel like if I was ever stuck somewhere where I was just researching history, I would die. I only want to go into the future. Yeah. Of course, the past will tell us about the future, but yeah, that's where I want to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mean, it's just a, a fascinating journey that you've been on. First, congratulations uh, on becoming a father. Uh, a a huge you. moment in anyone's life. Um, but really extraordinary at, in this period of sort of creative flourishing that you're talking about. Um, there's a book actually called The Geography of Genius, I think. Uh, that's about the concept that you just described. I read it, I don't know, a number of years ago. And it was really intriguing to me because they unpacked this idea uh, of what you were talking about, this idea of you've got to be in the place where the energy is at, uh, where people are as passionate about the thing that you're driven to do as you are yourself. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's the same thing is true of, <clears throat> excuse me, of finance. If you're interested in finance, the place to be is New York City. Uh, and obviously, you know, we talk about this kind of blithely, but they're terribly expensive places to live, uh, of course. But there's something about the energy that's in the air uh, when you're surrounded by people who care about the same things that, that you do and that incredible sense of synergy that comes from being part of that group. Totally. And I see, and it's really interesting because we were you know, before we started the podcast, we were talking a little bit about, you know, world events and COVID and things like that. And and the pandemic, as awful as it was for small business, really yeah. devastating for a lot of small business restaurants, retail shops, but it forced us to change, right? Forced us to change. And now all of a sudden it feels surreal where we're taking off our masks in the store and the restaurant and everything. 
but it forced us to change. And one of the things that I saw that I thought was really interesting was cryptocurrency had found a home in San Francisco. There are so many crypto startups. It's the home of uh, Metallicus Metal. It's home of Coinbase, Kraken. You know, a lot of the top crypto startups are there. Of course, you have FTX and Binance internationally, but I'm pretty sure Alameda FTX has presence in the Bay. There's a lot of presence there, right? All the top crypto startups, their funds are there. And when COVID hit, it kind of locked down the city. So, you know, San Francisco is this, when I first moved there, I remember my first visit there in 2007, I was just, I'm going to move here. I, I have to live here. This is a beautiful, magical place where people do a slip and slide uh, down the street and there's, um, you know, a, a parade with people in costumes dancing. And it was just, it was a magical place in 2007 for me. And after COVID, it it didn't, it was not really, honestly, it was not fun to live there, right? Yeah. Because everything was locked down. There's a lot of crime and it got only got worse. And so everybody kind of started going to Miami and Austin and different places. And I'll say, you know, several different cities in the U.S. that have really become crypto cities that have taken a lot of that is Miami is one of them. Obviously, with uh, Mayor uh, Suarez has really embraced it with the new crypto bull and all the crypto conferences. Uh, Los Angeles, I've noticed, and it's a lot of the media and NFTs and entertainment. There was the NFT uh, convention recently here. And then also, you know, Austin and New York, they're, it's just exploding. But it's different segmentation, I feel. Uh, a lot of the more financial-focused firms are going to uh, New York, um, mm-hmm. Austin is definitely taking a lot of crypto stuff. Miami State, all my, a lot of my crypto friends are saying, I just saw your billboard for metal in Miami. When are you going to move here? <laughs> I, Miami's great. I, something drew me to Los Angeles and there's something that I need to do here. I, it's, I don't know what it is, but, um, I need to be here right now. I know. And, and when you surround yourself by those, the right people, you will absorb it. And so, you know, follow where your, your, your calling goes. And I think that, it's, it is sad in a way that the tech is moving outside of SF and going to other places, but I think it's presenting interesting kind of like creative collisions, right? finance and crypto, entertainment and crypto, different, you know, uh, different sectors that these, um, these uh, localities are, you know, mm-hmm. kind of famous for. It's bringing in those different elements. And I think crypto is about to expand beyond just finance into so many different areas, right? And I, I see yeah. that with the um, NFTs. Yeah, I think that's just so spot on. And also, you know, look, we live in a world where talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And so the idea that, you know, people uh, where you had to be in the Bay Area, and now you have these hubs that are springing up in Austin and in in Miami and Los Angeles, all over the country. In New York, we have a substantial uh, crypto community. Obviously, a new incumbent mayor here in New York City who's very passionate about crypto. I think it's good for the space. And I think it's good for the world. It's good for people to be able to have these sort of hubs that are scattered around the country where you don't have to be in just one place. I think in the future, as and this sounds really maybe crazy, but in the future, you'll probably be able to rent a robotic vehicle, like a um, a uh, what do you call it? Uh, it's it's basically like a camera on wheels. I have one here in my office, uh, double robot, and you'll be able to rent like one of these double robots or something like that, just like Uber. And so, if you want to go to a conference in New York as a robot, I think that'll be a thing in a few <laughs> years. And I think the blend between, you know, I think the idea of we could go into the metaverse, we could go into AR, we could go into VR, we could actually rent a double robot or some sort of camera. We're going to start to become so much more digital over the next few years. And I think crypto really enables that. The whole idea of metaverse 
it's already been done before, right? The VR thing has been done 20 years ago. Why is the metaverse aspect interesting? Why is JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs putting it on their website, even though they don't have anything in metaverse yet? It's because we can monetize a whole new world, a digital world with unlimited real estate potential, right? Um, and that's, I think, exciting. Uh, so I think in the next few years, we're really not... I. I it's funny because my CFO asked me, hey, are you going to Money 2020 Europe? And I was like, yes, absolutely, to you know celebrate uh, Metal Pay EU launch and everything. But you know, in the future, I'd love to be at like three or four conferences at once, right? How can we do that? And I think that's it's coming, right? We, COVID, it, it, it's a blessing and a curse. It, it's terrible what happened, but yeah. at the same time, it has forced us to reinvent communication business and things like that. And I think disruption can be painful, but ultimately it's right. it's really good. And it caused us, it also caused us to uproot, a lot of us to uproot and to go and follow, you know, where our heart is saying, this. these are the people that I spend the most time with. This is where I feel I should be, right? Um, and it's it's amazing. I, I think that a lot of that is driven by this Web3 uh, movement, is this kind of the decentralization and I can't help but think that it definitely influenced a lot of companies over these past couple of years. Uh, crypto's kind of global nature and idea of uh, kind of creating a more fair playing field that's that's universal and global. I, I can say for our company, once we started hiring outside of the Bay and we started focusing globally, things really took off for us. Yeah. So Marshall, Metaverse, Web3, these are ideas that are still so new that there's not really even a consensus yet of the definition uh, of what these concepts mean. What does Web3 mean to you? What does the Metaverse mean to you? Yeah, so Web3 really is is uh, one of the best ways I've seen it described is, you know, Web 1.0 is the uh, just read-only, right? where we go to websites, we get information, we can search, we can use, you know, in the very, very beginning, Alta, free Google, AltaVista, InfoSeek, well. if you remember those names. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, the early days, and then we get to Web 2.0, and that's social media, that's that's Facebook, that's Twitter. So this is like, you know, it's like 2000, around to early 2000s, right? We're starting to get into Web 2.0. I think Web 2.0 was born when I was a freshman in college, it was like 2002. That was, I was one of the first people on Facebook. You had to have a campus.edu email address. Right. And I remember I was like, this is so cool. This is so cool. It's like the, cause we already had, you know, I, I grew up a child of the internet. We had AOL instant messenger. We had IRC, we had chat rooms, we had things like that. But the introduction of the pictures and the comments and this kind of back yeah. and forth that really made it more of like an interaction yeah. and created that Pavlovian response of, ooh, I got a like. Ooh, I got a retweet. Mm. You know, uh, Twitter came about five years later in 2007, I think, right? Um, but that was really, you know, 2000, 2000, um, 2000 to 2010, that was the beginning of Web3. We're going to interact with each other. And the beginning of delivery services and things like that really was kind of <laughs> early, like 2010, 2011, Start Postmates, DoorDash, these things start to appear, right? I remember using Postmates in 2014 and it was still early days. It was still really, I think you could like type your order in, like what you want. <laughs> you didn't actually select <laughs> it from the menu. You choose a store and type in what you want. It's like early days. So it wasn't yeah. that long ago 
that thing, you know, you, it's funny because we think back to like a few years, it wasn't that long ago that phones were not, had still had keyboards and didn't look like this, you know? Right. Um, but now they all do. Uh, so Web 3.0, this is the monetization, this is the blockchain. This is where we start to, uh, in the Web 2.0 model, we can create websites, we create servers, you access them, we pay uh, for services, whether that's B2B or B2C. Uh, in the Web2 model, freemium was really made popular, right? Because we're going to give you the free Facebook account, the free Google account, and we're going to sell your business the enterprise service, the corporate Google services, the Facebook advertising, right? So really, Web2.0 is all about freemium model to consumer, and they are going to uh, get some sort of value out of your platforms, whether that usually communication or something like that. And it's or, or e-commerce, and it's going to come back to you in the. It's going to come back to you in the form of goods and services that you're buying or subscribing to, and you're the product. You're the product, right? So everything you do, even though it doesn't seem like it, you're actually creating a value through your data, through your choices, through your browsing selections. But you don't get any of that. Yeah. Web 2.0, you don't get any of that. What you get is a Pavlovian. Ooh, a like. Oh. I see that you clicked on uh, this motorcycle. Would you be interested in a motorcycle helmet? Right? You know, that's what you get in Web 2.0. Web 3.0, very different. Web 3.0, Web 2.0, crypto was around during the beginning of Web 2.0. Web 3.0 didn't start in 2009 when Bitcoin was created. Web 2.0 started, started in, you know, like I said, I think like 2001 or 2000 or something like that. Maybe I could even make an argument it was 97 or 98 or, you know, go back to the origins of AOL, which I think was 1994. But yeah, uh, yeah Web 3.0, I would say Web 3.0 started around 2017. Um, and that's, you know, maybe a bold prediction. Maybe somebody would say, or not prediction, maybe it's a bold statement. Um, but I would say it started around 2017 because that was the beginning of really Ethereum and blockchains that could run smart contracts. So the beginning of crypto was just simple UTXO ledger systems. I'm moving, you know, Bitcoin from you to from myself to yourself, but we didn't have these smart contracts, right? Ethereum introduced really kind of brought about the web 3.0 movement and it launched I think believe it was 2016 uh Ethereum launched by 2017 were full ERC20. The lots of Ethereum requests for comments, but none as popular as number 20. And number 20 introduced the concept of tokens other tokens on the Ethereum blockchain, which gave the rise to decentralized autonomous organizations, yeah. decentralized applications. And in the Web 3.0, which I, I really feel was maybe it was late 2016, early 2017. That was about that time Web 3.0 came online with this idea of decentralized autonomous organization. Very different than a centralized um, uh, I don't know <laughs> what's the opposite of uh, a DAO. It's a centralized non-autonomous organization. It's a centralized uh, organization run by corporate executives. Um, so the DAO was the inverse of that, enabled by the blockchain. And so to me, Web 3.0 is the beginning of uh, uh, state, uh, state machines and smart contracts in blockchain and basically taking, ident and this is where we get into metaverse, we're taking identity and we're taking uh, your value that you contribute through the choices that you make on the web and redistributing that wealth to you through some ownership through DAOs right. and also the decision making through DAOs. So in the past, 
if you liked, you want a feature, you know, uh, for Facebook, you want a feature for Instagram or, or TikTok or something, you email them, hey, would it be cool if we had this 30 second snap feature or whatever, right? And maybe somebody contacts you and say, hey, I'd love to pay you a $50 Applebee's gift card for some feedback or whatever, right? right. We've probably all gotten that text spam email or something. <laughs> um, and so, but Web 3.0, much better. I'm not interested in your $50 target card. I'm not interested in that. I want to be opt in as much or as little as I want into, into whether this is a decision-making process, a revenue share kind of agreement through, uh, through DAOs. And there are definitely legal complexities around securities, dividends, and things like this, yeah. questions that need to be answered. Sure are. But, you know, crypto is, is a funny thing. It's sort of like water. It, you will find people willing to take risks at all levels, right? And so crypto is just going to fill in all of these cracks where it's needed. And so with Web 3.0, now we are monetizing through DAOs. Now, a great example is Uniswap. Um, Proton Loan is, is another good example. But like a, a DEX or a uh, lending protocol that you would earn some governance token for participating in and then be allowed to make some decisions. AMMs are a great example. I, I like to use uh, ProtonSwap and Uniswap and PancakeSwap as examples because in the past we used to, uh, Binance kind of pioneered this model of like uh, refer everyone and you'll get a portion of the fees in perpetuity. But the AMM, which came about with Uniswap, was really cool because it said, you, you can now be a part of this liquidity and it's going beyond the typical kind of decks where you're just placing limit orders and you have to be more involved. You just set some liquidity and understand the concept of impermanent loss or in some of the newer models, it doesn't matter. And then you'd basically just start reaping some benefit of the platform. And some great examples of how this are fixed without impermanent loss are stablecoin slippage. For example, if you added to an XUSDC, XUSDT pool on ProtonSwap, yeah, you might end up with more USDC than USDT, but you could always balance it back out and you're earning interest. So I think that, you know, the beginning of of uh, the Web3 is really all about that ownership, decision-making, ownership in revenues, ownership in uh, process and things like that. And then the metaverse is, people always, I think, get this confused because they think the metaverse means it must be VR or AR. Right. I don't think that that's the case. Yeah. I think the metaverse is your digital identity on the internet, whether that is through web browsing, AR, VR, interacting with cryptocurrency, and that commerce and communication, that is the metaverse to me. So whether I'm an AR and I can see you through my lens and there's things superimposed to my vision, whether I'm sitting here with the full blinders on in my chair and, I'm, we're in, and I've got my controllers, or I'm just walking around the world and I get a ping on my phone because it's some sort of social media platform interaction that I had or DAO or DAP that I interacted with, that's Web3. Mm. And uh, I, I've, I've said this quote a few times before, but it's one of my favorite kind of uh, thoughts, I guess, or uh, statements is um, crypto is about when money, we stop working for money and money starts working for us. That is really a powerful statement to me because that's what Web3 is all about. That's what the metaverse is all about. We really stop working for money and we start making the, the money starts working for us. And uh, to go back to the beginning of the conversation, putting ourselves in the places that we want to be, we don't physically have to be there anymore. These communities can be online. They can be in AR, they can be in VR, they can be online. And yes, they can be in person, but 
It's about um, it's about these communities, the digital identity, and the commerce and communication around that. And that's Web3. And yeah. I think in the future, UBI, people thought universal basic income is going to be like this government or robot just like giving out bread. I think UBI is going to be more about showcasing what you do and what you're interested in, moving away from the concept of feeling the chores or pains of work and moving into what you love. Of course, there's always manual labor and there's always tough jobs, there's always jobs that you know, people don't want to do, but there's somebody out there that's perfect for them, right? Finding our place is part of what Web3 is about. And mm. the closer we get to it, the more it monetizes and the more we get surrounded by that community. And so I see crypto as this way to kind of incentivize that um, connectedness. And I, I see it every day. Um, people yeah. uh, getting into Web3, starting to create NFTs and finding a community and Proton around NFTs and, and making a living in creating NFTs or uh, getting into smart contracts and, you know, oh, I got a job as an auditor. Oh, now I'm writing smart contracts and things like that for other companies. That's that's really where it's going. And I, I think mm. that it goes into all different areas of life and opportunity. It's just, we're just skimming the surface right now. I think the, the VR aspect is going to connect us even closer, but it, it's still kind of crappy, right? Yeah. Like I saw the Facebook previews. It's like, that looks <laughs> like Second Life from 2003. When are we going to get some really high render, like we're talking right now, but we're actually uh, yeah. computer generated? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you know, well said and very elegantly framed, this transition from read to write to ownership, monetization, and self-governance, and now full immersion and interconnection as we talk about the rise, obviously very early, but the rise of the metaverse with Web3. You know, we framed out these issues, I think, in this conversation. And I'm curious, Marshall, when you when you look at where we are today, where do you see us three, five years in the future? This is my favorite type of question to answer because I love thinking about the future. I love, I'm always every day imagining in my head, where are we going to be in a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? Okay, so here are my big predictions. This is going to go away. He's holding up his phone for those who are listening on audio only. (laughs) This is going to go away. This is... Uh, this is a, your phone, it's your bank, it's your identity, it's your authentication device, but it's going to go away. Your wallet went away. Uh, got it right here on my desk. This is my wallet, right? This is everybody's new wallet. It's just like a, you just need a few cards because most of your cards are in Apple Pay or GPay, right? So this, this used to be like a billfold or like a you know leather wallet that was thick. He's right? holding up a magnetic we, wallet that's cl- that clips onto the back of his iPhone. This is three cards. It fits three cards, right? Apple figured out that probably all you need are about three cards. And what is that? One credit card, one driver's license, and maybe one debit card or an insurance card. But you get to pick three. And you probably only need three because almost everything is in your phone now. Yeah. You think about it. What are the physical cards that you must present? Well, nothing really except for my driver's license. Maybe my debit card because I maybe sometimes want to use the ATM or something. 
And maybe my credit card or maybe my insurance card. Everybody has a different thing, but you probably only need like one or two cards, right? So and you can withdraw that cash out. from an ATM with your phone now as well, of course. Yeah, so you don't even need the debit card anymore. So like what are the emergency kind of cards that you have to present physically? Well, uh, I, I had an accident recently. I fell off my, uh, my, my motorcycle, so I need my insurance card, <laughs> right? Um, it, it, that's what you want. So in the future, this is going to go into the cloud this device is going to become part of the cloud. Uh, I believe that you know they tried the first round with Google Glass. It didn't work because of privacy issues and kind of being dorky and looking dorky, and you know it didn't have the resolution. But I feel that we're going to get there. I feel like this is the future. Now tapping his uh, his smartwatch. I believe that we are going to have. I believe that Google Glass is going to make a comeback. It's going to be way different, way different than, you know, how we used to think about it. Once we get through the privacy issues, once we, you know, you're not going to walk into the bathroom with Snapchat. That was the issue, right? It was like a camera walking into a bathroom or going to places that people don't want to see. Also, the resolution of the heads up display. Uh, recently, I, I sat down into a new Mercedes and I saw the heads up display on the dash. That's the future right there. The future is going to be heads up display glasses here, everything in your phone in the cloud. It's all in the cloud and it's going to be using blockchain and IPF and decentralized technology to keep other businesses honest and share the data between platforms. So when I want a new bank account, I'm going to use webauth.com, face ID, tap ID, and probably in the future, it will probably just be a double tap on my watch with the biometric of my heart rate. It's going to be impossible to uh, fake, right? Um, and so that's really the future, everything in the cloud. And what's going to happen is, <laughs> I'm not talking like I really know, but I really feel like this is probably a good guess. Uh, look at Apple TV, right? Look at how cheap screens are now. I remember, you know, go back to 2002 as a freshman in college, I bought my my flat screen, my first like TV I bought. It was, I think it was like uh, t 28 inches or something. And it was really expensive, thousands of dollars. I was like, yeah. oh man, it's 28 inch flat screen TV. So thick, right? Like this thick or something like that, huge. And now they're like this, they're, you know, you can, you can practically get them for free. You could get like a 50 inch screen for under a thousand dollars, right? I think, I'm pretty sure they're going to get cheaper and thinner and cheaper. And to the point, you're going to see screens on everything and devices are going to be interconnected. So when you walk in a room, you'll be able to pull up your cloud from your heads up display from your watch onto any screen in any room. And I think We'll do away with the phone because we won't need it anymore. We'll have faster data connections. Everything will be on heads-up display. And when you go into a restaurant, other buildings, you'll have screens that you can kind of use privately or semi-publicly, I would imagine. And I think everything's going to be in the cloud. I think AI is going to get to the point. Siri and Alexa are um, already at the point where they're pretty good. But imagine the future, you have a really autonomous conversation, a really... Like you're talking to a real person. Right now, I'm going to ask, what's the time? What's the weather? What's the next item on my schedule? Send a, tell, tell them to send a text message, an email, something simple. But in the future, we're going to have really in-depth conversations. And I saw um, Sam Altman, the former president of Y Combinator, was uh, tweeting uh, some of the new AI stuff that he's working on. And he said, ask me a question uh, ask me to paint a picture and I will give you like, I'll give you that picture uh, painted by AI. And somebody I think said like, two teddy bears on the moon trading on computers from 1975. And this AI generated it, like teddy bears on the moon on vintage computers. That 
ability for AI to do that is so incredible that mm. we're not quite there yet, but in the future, you'll be talking to an Alexa or a Siri and it will be complex and it will be, you won't need that screen anymore because all the things that you were going to do on that screen, you would just tell, you won't type. That's another big prediction. In 10 years, you will not be typing. You'll be telling, you talking. Probably typing will kind of be like one of those things like driving a stick shift car. Some people know how to do it, but most do not, unfortunately. <laughs> Marshall, again, an incredible conversation having you here with us again today. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners with about this conversation. Yeah, I, I again, thanks for having me on. I, I always love talking with you and we always get into you know future talks and where we're going. I, you know, I really feel that in the future, we're going to be moving away from uh, kind of the traditional modes of communication, how we used to kind of think about things. And we're going to start to, I want to bring it back to the very beginning of this conversation, which is in, you know, post COVID, a lot of us recently relocated physically. I predict in the next few years, we're going to relocate digitally in the metaverse. It's going to be like the next exodus. But instead of leaving your town that you're living in, you might, you're going to kind of leave your headspace into a metaverse, into a new reality where you are surrounded by the people that 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 get you going, that make that spark that passion in you, and you're going to get paid to do it, hmm. and it's it's really not going to feel like work. And I feel like whether that's a full time job or a part time job or some part monetization, we're going to start to see the benefits of the choices and and communities we take a part of online. We're going to benefit from that financially, but we're also going to benefit from that culturally, socially, in ways we can't even imagine. And I think that we're seeing the very beginning of that with Meta and also with Elon Musk taking over Twitter, seeing the very beginning of the cracks of the, the Web 2.0 wall breaking and the crypto is the water gushing in for Web 3. You're going to see Twitter become a completely different platform. Mm. Facebook is going to be challenged and forced to become a completely different platform. You're going to see platforms like Snipcoins on Proton that are you know decentralized social media platforms. There's a lot of, when that Twitter news came out, I, every major crypto founder offered some sort of support or opportunity. It's coming. And in the future, you will be paid for your passions. It's coming. You know, this conversation has come full circle from where we started uh, about the idea of going to a physical place uh, where you could find your passion and follow your bliss to this sort of virtualization of the geography of genius. Marshall, fantastic having you with us, man. Thank you again, Ash. It's a pleasure as always. And uh, look forward to next time. It's, it's really great chatting with you. And, and thank you for, uh, to our listeners. Thank you again. And thanks for listening, everybody. All right, that's a wrap on Building Blocks. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto, where the crypto conversation always continues. Mm-hmm.